Amen. So, welcome. Uh, I hope all your eggs are hidden. <laughs> hope your ham is in the oven. Because nothing celebrates the resurrection of the Jewish Jesus like a ham. <laughs> right? Where'd that come from? I don't know. But let me say welcome to you. Also, uh, to those online uh, watching live, we've got brothers and sisters all over the world who are joining us this morning, people from home watching us live. Um, If you are a guest, as Pastor Albert said, we want to extend a big invitation to you to come back and join us next week. Invite somebody to come with you next week. Um, It's exciting stuff. Next Sunday, just to kind of give you a heads up, we're going to be starting a brand new four-part series um, called Frequently Asked Questions, FAQ. And it's going to be good. We're going to be tackling all those questions you've always had about God but we're afraid to ask. You know, why, 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 do, uh, why do bad things happen in this world? Where's God when, when evil happens? Things like that, all kinds of questions. Um, but we're going to take four of the most common ones and tackle those things. So bring your friends. It'll be fun. What an exciting weekend. Hallelujah. Something happened 2,000 years ago that changed everything. Something happened 2,000 years ago, um, and that's what we're celebrating this weekend. So let's dive right in here. If you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 11, or you can follow along on the screen. Uh, they'll be putting them up there. I want to I unpack one of the most amazing stories in the, in the Gospels, but also one uh, of the most amazing statements that Jesus ever made. Now, as you might have noticed already, I'm not actually starting with the story that just about every other preacher is preaching this morning. Um, just because I, I don't want to. <clears throat> um, so there we go. But, but don't worry, we will get to it because all stories lead back to that story. Amen. Amen. So here we are. We are in uh, John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, A man named Lazarus was sick, and he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. And so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now I'm going to be really honest with you. When I used to read this statement, um, it kind of bothered me a little bit. It bothered me a little bit because he says he won't end in death, but like, you know, he dies. If you read on, spoiler alert, he dies. But, you know, as the, the late great comic and actress Gracie Allen once said, she said this, never place a period where God has placed a comma. And that's pretty brilliant. Never place a period where God has placed a comma, which is exactly what I was doing in this story because death is not the end of this story. Verse 5. So, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, He stayed where he was for the next two days. Okay, here's another one that bothered me. Call me Captain Obvious, but if your friend is on his deathbed, are you going to wait around a couple more days before you go see him? Right? Um, I mean, it just seems a little thoughtless to wait around. Now, admit it. Let's admit it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there with God? Have you ever felt like God was about about two two days late to the scene of your problem? right? We've been there. I've been there. And, you know, I've discovered time and time again, I'll be, I'll be going, God, where you been? And, and I discover that God has his own timing. He just does. He has his own timing, and he knows what he's doing if I'll just trust him. I, I've learned that, um, and I have to relearn that all the time. 
But there's this pattern that we see in the scriptures that's really interesting. It's repeated over and over in the scriptures, and I've seen it in my own life sometimes. And it is that sometimes God, God doesn't intervene until the situation is humanly impossible. Sometimes God doesn't intervene until the situation's humanly impossible. Why? I think it's simple. I think God loves impossible odds. He loves impossible odds. Why does he love impossible odds? Because he knows that is when we will know who to thank when the miracle happens. He loves these odds. He shows up, and we know exactly who gets the credit because we know who to thank. Sometimes I have to remind myself that when it seems like things are, are getting worse, that God is setting the stage for something miraculous. Impossible situations are divine opportunities. When things look like they're getting worse, that's a divine opportunity. So, so in this story, Jesus waits, and he waits, and he waits until Lazarus has been in the grave four days. Now, that's significant, because that means, that means Lazarus isn't just dead, he's dead and buried, right? You ever had a problem? It's, it's not just dead, it's dead and buried. This is a hopeless situation if ever there was something. Now, here's something else. I'll just be real transparent with you this morning. Here's something else I've learned about myself. Um, I love miracles. How many like miracles? We love, yeah, that's all great. That's wonderful. Yeah, miracles. Um, I love miracles. I just don't like being in situations that necessitate one. (laughs) Right? I love miracles. I just don't want to have to be in that place where I need a miracle. Right? We love love living by faith. Yeah, faith is awesome. Faith life. But I don't want to live by faith every single day. Right? But that's our problem. That's our problem. We don't want to be in those situations. But it's in those places, those hopeless places, that's where God shows up. That is where, that sets the table for God to do something miraculous. The, the, the hardest part we have is waiting often, right? The waiting is the hardest part, as the song goes. The waiting is the hardest part. Melissa and I... <laughs> <laughs> Melissa and I have two little boys, and there's one thing I have learned about my youngest, who's seven, and that is the word tomorrow is the most meaningless word to him. It is the most meaningless word in that child's vocabulary, tomorrow. It might as well be a thousand years from now, right? When you tell a kid that they can have it tomorrow, you might as well be speaking Russian to them. It, it like doesn't compute. It doesn't register. What little Macy, my seven-year-old, what he hears when I say tomorrow, he hears one million years from now, <laughs> right? He lives, because he lives in a now or never world. Asking him to wait is like asking him to levitate. You know, he just, he can't do it. Literally, this happened last week. We were, we were planning on going bowling. He loves to bowl. It's like his favorite little thing. He loves to bowl. He's so cute when he's doing it too. <clears throat> And uh, he wanted to go bowling, but we had it all planned out for the next day. So we told him, we're going to go bowling tomorrow. And he said, so you mean we're never going? (laughs) That's what he said. Made perfect sense in his brain. How many of us would admit, how many of us would admit that sometimes we have the patience of a first grader? We want it on our timeline. Now, that doesn't make you evil or horrible or something like that. That just makes you human, right? You're human. You want it on your timeline. Oswald Chambers, the great writer, he said this, he put it this way, sometimes it looks like God is missing the mark because we are too short-sighted to see what he's really aiming for. We think he missed, but he was aiming for something else, 
right? So we think about, like, you think about the will of God in your life, and you want the will of God in your life, and we think about it in terms of, well, who should I marry, or which job should I take, or where should I move? You know, we think about all these sort of circumstantial questions, but the issue to God is always most primary, primary, who are you becoming? This is the issue to God. See, we're asking him what we're supposed to do here and there and here and there. And his, his greatest question in your life is, who are you becoming? Are you becoming a person of faith, a person of character? What are you forming into? A person that is more and more like Jesus Christ? Because I've come to believe that God is, is infinitely more concerned with this question right here. Who are you becoming than any other question you may have concerning his will for your life? He's most interested in this question. So, back to our story here. Jesus, finally, after all these days, he finally arrives at the town of Bethany. In verse 20, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. As we're going to see, Mary's a little upset. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Oh, this is a beautiful statement. This is a beautiful statement because if I'm reading this right, Martha is saying that, yeah, he's been dead four days, but even now, even now it's not too late for you to do something about it. Now, I got to be honest. I would be thinking it's too late. It's four days too late. Thanks a lot. I'd be thinking, you know what? We just got to let this one go. Brother is gone. We got to let him go. Now, being a child of the 80s, which was the greatest decade, one of my, one of my favorite philosophers, and you may have heard of him, is, a, is the great and mythical Jack Handy, um, who wrote a book called Deep Thoughts. And one of my favorite of these is uh, this one. Uh, guys, let's, let's look at this one. This is a really, really good one. And now, Deep Thoughts. By Jack Handy. If you ever drop your keys into a river of molten lava, let them go, because man, they're gone. <laughs> that is some wisdom to live your life by right there. <clears throat> uh, you just got to let this one go. There are some things you just got to let go. Um, if you're dead, you're dead. And if you've been dead for four days, you're probably dead for good. But for Martha, there's this part of her, bless her heart, that says, even now. See, Martha has what I like to call diehard faith. Diehard faith. She doesn't just believe that Jesus can heal the sick, like her sister Mary does. Martha knows Jesus has the power to reverse the irreversible, right? And I think that's a whole nother level of faith right? When it comes to faith. Die hard faith. Die hard faith. This is like Bruce Willis versus a whole gang of evil Germans kind of faith. Die hard faith. Again, from the 80s. Thank you. Um, now, a lot of us have, have kind of like uh, Mary's faith. And Mary's faith is, uh, we could call it preventative faith. Preventative faith is good. This is like what I do every morning when I'm taking my kids to school. I walk my little boy to school, and on the way, I'm, I pray a hedge of protection around him. How many of you pray for your kids? A hedge of protection. God, protect my kids. Just keep them safe one more day, please, right? A hedge of protection. 
We pray for safety if we're going off to travel somewhere. We'll pray for safety when we travel. And that kind of faith is fine, preventative faith. See, but there's a whole other category of faith. And it's diehard faith that believes that God can undo something that's already been done. That he can reverse the irreversible, which is what we're celebrating on Easter. That's what Easter is all about. So I think our real question is this, how big is your God? How big is your God? Have you been serving a God who's only big enough to, you know, help you find your keys when you lose them? Who's, who's big enough to help you get that job promotion you're, you know, you're praying for or something like that? Or are you, are you serving the same God who rose from the grave and conquered death, hell, and, and the grave once and for all? Is that the God that you're serving? Because if Jesus can raise the dead, then all bets are off, right? That changes everything. It changes the game. Resurrection totally redefines what is and is not possible. Resurrection changes everything. So Jesus told her in verse 23, he said, Martha, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Now, what Martha is, is referring to here is an is a ancient Jewish prophecy concerning the end of the world, when everybody's going to rise. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And in verse 26, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Then he asked the question, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? And I love this statement. I love it because what Jesus is saying is that, Martha, it's not over till I say it's over. I am the resurrection and the life. I love that. Now, that is quite a claim. That's a pretty bold matzo ball out there, right? It's what sets Christianity apart from other religious traditions. Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, these guys, they, they might have said some wise things, but they didn't claim divinity, they didn't claim power over death, and they definitely didn't die for your sins and raise, rise from the dead, right? Jesus alone makes this kind of claim. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I saw an interview one time with another of one of my, my favorite modern philosophers, Bono, from <laughs> lead singer of U2. And uh, the interviewer, you could tell the interview was a little, he was a little skeptical of Bono's uh, religious beliefs. And uh, the interviewer is like, well, you know, I mean, Christ ranks up there with the, the great philosophers and thinkers, but the Son of God, I mean, come on, really? The Son of God, isn't that a little far-fetched? And now, I don't think Bono claims to be a uh, theologian, but his answer is pretty good. And, and so watch what he says Illness here. Or so, so then what or who Turn was Jesus as far as you're concerned? I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian is who was Christ. And... And I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or, a, a, you know, because actually he went round saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God or he was not. No, no, nuts. Nuts, yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson-type delirium. <laughs> and I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years, have been touched, 
have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. So therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have no problem with miracles. All right. All right. Way to go, Bono. Um, that's, That's not a bad answer for a rock star, right? That's pretty good. So, see, Jesus makes this bold claim. He's, he claims to have power over death. And, and he says, I am the resurrection. Now, either he is or he isn't. Either he is or he isn't. There's no in-between. Either he was crazy or he wasn't. And so Jesus asks Martha if she believes, and Martha answers, yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And this is beautiful because this is Martha's profession of faith. She's making this profession of faith. You know what? And it's still that simple. It's still this simple right there. What she just said. If you're seeking God, if you're, if you're looking for answers, and I've been there, I know we're, and we're all still looking for answers, but if you're seeking God, you're wondering what this Christianity thing is all about. That's good. That's good. And, and if you're wondering, who is this person called Jesus? The answer is not about joining a religion. I'm here to tell you the answer is not about joining a religion. Uh, It's not about performing all the correct rituals to get into the club or agreeing even to some big long list of rules or beliefs. It's really about deciding to put your trust in one person, Jesus Christ, and surrendering to him. Resurrection changes everything. See, when Jesus came, when the resurrection happened, it meant salvation for us. You've probably heard people talk about salvation, being saved, I'm saved. Well, you know what? He not only saved us from our sins, he saved us from religion. Because religion is a no-win situation. It's an impossible situation. It makes impossible demands on you. He saved you from your sins and saved you from religion. Okay, verse 32. Let's keep going here. I'm going to get too excited. Now, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Now, see, Mary has some faith. Mary's got that preventative faith, right? But it's not Martha's diehard faith. But Jesus is cool. He's cool. He walks over to the tomb, which was this cave with a stone in in the way He's going to encounter one of these in a few weeks later, right? And he tells them to roll the stone away, which freaks everybody out, right? Because they're all worried that Lazarus is going to stink a lot. It's true. That's what it says. And then, verse 43, Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come out! And moments later, out comes Lazarus, alive and well wrapped in about 100 pounds of of burial clothing, right? So he's kind of doing the mummy shuffle, coming out of there. And Jesus tells everybody, unwrap him, right? And everybody's just freaking out like crazy again, because resurrection changes everything. Resurrection is what Jesus wants to do for every single one of us. We're all Lazarus. Every single one of us. He wants to bring us back to life. So today, God is asking you and I the same question he asked Martha 2,000 years ago. Do you believe this? Do you believe I can do this? Martha believed. Mary wasn't so sure. And you and I have to make the same choice. We have to make the same choice. One last story. Fast forward a few weeks from this story 
Fast forward a few weeks later to John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, it's the first Easter morning. The sun has come up, and the same Mary, it must have been almost like a flashback for her to what happened to her brother. They had taken Jesus away on a Friday. They had beaten him, tortured him, crucified him horribly on a cross. And now Sunday morning, the Sabbath was over, and so she's going to visit the grave. And verse 11 says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. I can only imagine her feelings are are all too familiar, right? It's what she had felt with her brother. And now the one who had raised her brother from the dead is dead. And she can't make sense of it intellectually and emotionally. She's a mess, as no one would blame her for being. And as she wept, she stood and looked in. And she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. And she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? And she thought he was a gardener. There's a whole bunch of neat uh, story going on there, but we don't have time to get into it. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go and meet him. Mary, Jesus said. Mary. The moment he spoke her name, she knew who it was. She looked up, and she cried out his name. Jesus knows your name. He knows your name this morning. He knows everything about you. He knows your heartache. He knows it all. It breaks his heart when your heart breaks. He knows you. And I want you to know that there is a God who is calling your name this morning. He's calling you out. He loves you. He died for you. He rose from the grave for you. He did that for you. And he calls out to you and me, just as he did to Lazarus. Lazarus, And he says, come forth, come out of your grave. It's time to live again. That is what Jesus calls us to. This morning, Christians all over the world are, are celebrating the resurrection. We're celebrating millions of Christians at the same time. It's wonderful. And we celebrate the resurrection not because we needed another holiday, but because the very course of our lives changed 2,000 years ago. The course of the world changed 2,000 years ago. Without the resurrection, the cross is a meaningless tragedy. Without the resurrection, Jesus could not have been our Savior, and he definitely wasn't divine. Without the resurrection, we have no hope for our future, and we would still be dead in our sins right now. You would have woken up this morning to a world that has no hope. I mean, picture some kind of alternate reality where the resurrection never happened. The last 2,000 years would have never happened. You would have woken up this morning to a world that is dead, that is hopeless, that would be clinging to dead religions and rules and impossible standards. That would have been the best we could hope for, is just to join some other dead religion and try to abide by some impossible standard. That would be the best we could hope for. It would be a world where love is not being poured out 
every single day by our Creator. We wouldn't know the wonder of having that same power that raised Christ from the dead dwelling inside us in the form of the Holy Spirit. That would be impossible. We wouldn't know it. Every single day would be gray and pointless, and nobody would know the joy of salvation. That is what a world without resurrection would be. But hallelujah. Oh, but we are the fortunate ones. Fortunate among all the universe because it did happen. The resurrection did happen, and resurrection changes everything. Amen? Amen. I'm going to land this plane here in just a few minutes, but I want to leave you. I want to leave you with three ways that the resurrection changes everything. Okay? You with me? Here we go. Three ways. Number one, the resurrection means there is hope in empty places. There is hope in empty places. And as they came to that tomb, it had to be a shock for them to to see that the stone was rolled away, number one, from the entrance, but then that the tomb was empty. And those first few moments of the tomb being empty almost had to seem like too cruel for words, right? I mean, first their their Lord, the one they love, has been killed, and now he's been stolen or something like that. But what they didn't realize was the emptiness of the tomb meant hope was closer than ever. And when things seem too painful, when things seem too confusing, sometimes we need to understand that even when we can't see it, that God is moving ahead of us. He has a plan, that he sees things in in a bigger fashion than we see them. He knows what's best for us. The powerful things are happening. Powerful things are happening. There is hope in empty places. The empty tomb actually means there's hope for you, right? The empty nail holes in his hand actually signal hope for us. The, the, the empty grave clothes that were left behind, there is hope in that. In the most empty places in your life right now, the empty places in your life, that is a resurrection moment. That is a resurrection moment. Something else the resurrection shows us. Resurrection means that what happens here matters. This is good. This life matters. Think about it. You notice that Christ rose from the dead with a real body. Right? He didn't just become a ghost. Right? It's the great resurrection, not the great haunting. (laughs) Right? It shows us, for some reason, to God, this world matters. It matters. Matter matters to God. Jesus didn't just die and then talk to his disciples from like a spooky voice from heaven. Hello, it's okay, guys. I'm in heaven. I'm up here. No, no, no. He rose from the dead to life. He didn't rise, rise from death to death. He rose from death to life, right? So there's a difference between a resurrection and a haunting. Here, for some reason, it was important to God that Jesus rise from the dead and not just speak to us from the afterlife. This is really key for us to understand. Do you remember the, uh, the conversation we just read that Jesus had with Martha in front of the tomb of Lazarus? What did he say? Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And remember her response. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. She's referring to that prophecy about the end of the world. But see, she's making the same mistake you and I make all the time. We make this mistake. We think Jesus just came to save our souls so we can go to the sweet by and by in the sky someday. Right? But Jesus reminds her, he is the resurrection and the life. And that new life starts now. New life starts now. It's not for when you're dead. It starts now. Resurrection is not really a celebration of the afterlife. 
right? It's about the renewal of this one. That is good news for you and me. See, think heaven is your reward. Yes, heaven's there. Heaven is your reward. But this life is a gift. It's your privilege and it's your mission. That's so good. I'm going to say it again and put it on the screen. Here we go. Heaven is your reward, but this life is a gift. It's your privilege and it's your mission. Resurrection declares that what happens here matters. Flesh and blood matter. What you do here matters, right? The acts of of love and mercy that you do for other people matter. They matter. And this is key for us as as followers of Christ because it's easy for us to, we can watch the news and it's bad news and we kind of get evacuation focused, right? And, and, but we are, we are not called to sit around and wait for the end of the world. That's really not what we're called to do. Because Jesus showed us that he is all about a new creation that is bursting forth right here among us. It's called the kingdom of heaven. And we weren't born to just wait to be evacuated from here. We are part of the kingdom of God and that is present on the earth right now. It is a kingdom that starts now. The kingdom of God is now. And you and I get to be a part of it. Hallelujah. The last thing, the resurrection means you get to be free of guilt, shame, and fear forever. You just need to praise God for that one for a second. You get to be free from guilt, shame, and fear forever. Now realize a lot of us don't act like this. We forget this. And we need to remind ourselves of this almost every single day. You don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore because when you surrender to God, he views you as righteous, even when you're not perfect. He says you have the righteousness of of Jesus. He views you as righteous even when you're not perfect. He loves you unconditionally, even when you're not acting very lovable. And you don't have to fear death anymore because not even death has the final word. God has the final word. God has the final word. Listen, one morning, 2,000 years ago, the sun came up and something was different. The human race had just experienced its last hopeless night. 2,000 years ago, its last hopeless night. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection isn't something we just celebrate once a year because we live in resurrection every single day. Dying on the cross as he did and, and rising from the dead, it was an act of love, of mercy, of grace, and hope. And that love, mercy, grace, and hope is extended to you brand new every morning. Resurrection happens every day for us. It's something we continually celebrate. I want to I ask you to do me a favor, if you'll be gracious enough, Everyone in the room, if you would mind just bowing your head right now. If you'll just bow your head, no one looking around. I want to ask a question. If you want the opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to make that choice, to say yes, like Martha said yes, and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I surrender to you. I invite you to tell him, right now where you're sitting. I'm going to pray for us in just a second. I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, I invite you to just, you and Jesus pray. And you, you tell Jesus, I'm ready to walk with you. I don't have it all figured out, Jesus, 
but I'm ready to trust you and take a step towards you. I'm sorry for doing it my own way. I'm ready to go your way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for what we're celebrating today, Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for going to the cross, for dying for our sins. Thank you for the victory. Thank you for what happened on that day. You invite us into that reality, Lord. And Lord, I pray right now for every person here, every person, that we would not let this moment pass without seizing this opportunity. God, I pray that as many as take this first step, that you will bless their, their spiritual journey that begins today. And may we all follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward right now. We have some wonderful prayer partners at Generations Church. And these are just great people who are filled with faith. They love to pray. And we believe here at Generations Church that when we pray, things change. Nothing is the same. And so we're going to, the worship team is going to lead us in, in one more song in just a second. We're going to go out of here singing. But before we sing, before we sing, my brothers and sisters, I want to speak a blessing on you this morning. Can I do that? Here we go. May you walk out of this room with an understanding of the vast, expansive, limitless love of God that has been yours all along. And may you forgive other people the way he has forgiven you. May you give to others what has been given to you. And may you continue allowing yourself to be changed by God to change the world. Amen? Amen. All right. It's been a lot of fun. We're going to go out of here singing, and then you can go get your kids. Okay? Let's do this. Yeah.
you breathe your life into my life.